matters of the mind. Are you looking for answers, ideas, or just want someone to listen to you so you can vent? Join Dr. Peter Sacco as he discusses what matters most, issues that surround the mind. He gets to the heart of the matter when it comes to issues involving anger, depression, addictions, fear, anxiety, relationships, sex, abuse, bullying, and everything concerning you. And now, here's your host, Dr. Peter Sacco. Welcome to Matters of the Mind, where everything on your mind matters to us each and every week, which would be this first week of November. I'm Dr. Peter Andrew Sacco, and with me is my co-host and producer, Todd Miller. So, Todd, how are you enjoying spring today? <laughs> oh, man, I don't know. It was cold, and we had Halloween, which is really cool, and then now we're into, I think, June or July. I'm not sure weather-wise, but uh, yeah, a nice, refreshing change. This is just absolutely beautifully scintillatingly awesome I, there's no words for me to describe because i am a spring summer and warm autumn type of person and thank you so much el nino you have made our days so far you survived halloween did you you didn't get uh, swallowed up by a zombie we survived we actually had a tremendously great show um event that we did uh the great mitch markowitz came down we recreated the 1970s show literally 40 years to the day for the hilarious house of frankenstein and we shot a public service announcement for bullying and we're really excited about it so folks you can check it out online you can see it at niagarasmosthaunted.com it's all over bullyingforthebirds.com and this is bullying awareness month so our show this month will all be focused on issues surrounding bullying very nice, very nice, yes. And uh, it was a, a terrific Halloween. The weather was not so great as always. I don't know what it is the last couple of Halloweens. It's really uh, started to rain and be really crappy. But I guess that's, uh, you know, uh, as, I guess appropriate for Halloween to be cold and damp and dark and spooky, I guess. Absolutely. And it was all good. It was all good. Kids were great. And uh, speaking of kids, as we said, this is Bullying Awareness Month. And bullying is a severe issue folks so i don't know todd what are your views on bullying i was asked this yesterday in a radio interview uh, where i was the guest expert on it and i was asked do i think it's gotten worse or is it the same or has it gotten better i think we talked about this on an earlier show and um i think it's likely the same um in terms of um prevalence uh, maybe a bit a bit higher but it it it's insidious in so many different ways these days whereas uh, like I think we talked about an earlier show you would be bullied in person you know and somebody would be waiting for you after school to beat you up or take your lunch money or something uh, and now it's uh, virtual it's 24/7 and people can reach out and access you in so many different ways which there's no break from it unless you turn your phone off, shut your Facebook down for the day or Twitter. You literally can be, and I'll put this in quotes, assaulted uh, and in any manner of ways 24-7. And I'm glad you bring that up, Todd, because one of the more prevalent issues that I've been speaking about, um, I, I'll say it actually internationally doing radio shows and that on it. Uh, since I've written a couple books on this and you can by the way folks you can download them for free there's one for adults now for bullying <clears throat> and one for kids right on bullyingisforthebirds.com but one of the things that is really really prevalent and these are statistics that were put out um, by Stop a Bully which is a Canadian organization 
And here are some facts, and really interesting facts. One in five Canadian teens have witnessed online bullying. 25% of kids between 12 and 15 have witnessed cyberbullying. 25% of girls and 17% of boys have witnessed online harassment. 51% of all teens have had negative experiences with social networking. And two more stats, 16% of teens said someone posted an embarrassing photo of them and 12% said someone hacked their account. Those are some of the most current statistics that look at bullying in teenagers. And it doesn't just happen to you and me and the kid down the street. As we've seen, uh, there was the Apple server hack uh, earlier this year and major celebrities got their photos um, hacked and released, which is a form of bullying. It's because it, it could have taken a nasty turn. It could have been one of those, hey, we've got these photos of you and we want lots of money, um, you know, or we'll release them. Or it could be just as, as it was where they just said, you know, we're, we're going we're gonna to embarrass you. You know, and not that there's... I'm not going to get into the debate about whether somebody should be taking photos of themselves and their partner. I mean, that's that's for each person to decide. But I still think most people re request and expect a certain degree of privacy and security when it comes around to anything to do with their private life. Totally agree. And you know what? And it, it's interesting that the Internet is so amazing. I love it. I'm going to be the first person that says, I love it. I love it because I can use it to accent my life and complement my life, but not complicate it, I hope, or become codependent upon it. And this is kind of like where the whole George Orwell, 1984, Big Brother's watching you, that whatever you're doing online, it's getting out there a lot of times. You know, people can see it. And if you post something, they can definitely see it, and you're not going to be retracting it. And I think... The whole thing with the internet too has created this tremendous identity of anonymity where people can hide behind their screens and this is what we're seeing with tremendous amounts of bullying where the individuals will throw and say bad stuff out there hoping there's no repercussions because they quote unquote are hidden. You know, you can't see me Todd so you can't do anything to me. You know, we've seen various, various things uh, in the news about people posting things. I mean, in our most recent federal election, there were a, just a handful of candidates that had to drop out at the last moment because of, of things they'd said on social media when they were younger and, and maybe not as in control of their faculties, whether that's due to stimulants or just due to age. Uh, they said some pretty disparaging things. And again, you know, free speech is free speech, but when you're actively... Uh, dismissing another part of the population or saying something that isn't great, then you kind of deserve it. And and yes, in some cases, a great amount of time had passed since the original occurrence. But um, you know, it's just it just goes to show you that nothing you do uh, can ever be forgotten in the digital world. Someone will take a copy of it, and you know, it'll be forever on a server. Even if you see um, a button that says "Delete my account" on a social media account. Some of these places, some of these sites have gotten in trouble for actually keeping stuff when you deleted your account. So you're never safe. I, you know what? I, what's really, I guess, fascinating with the whole Internet thing, Todd, and it's what I've been talking about. What are the rules? In everyday society, you know how we have social skills? We have rules that, okay, you're not supposed to stare at somebody. You're not supposed to stand too close because you're violating their personal space. Um, you can say things because you're making eye contact and you're also using 
nonverbal communication skills that you can see, hey, I'm only joking. And I think this is what the key thing is, Todd. What are the rules for Internet? What, is, what are the social skills involved? And what is too much and what is going too far? I think the rules are different from site to site. I mean, I think uh, there's general... Of rules that some kids get, you know, and they're taught very early. And a kid, my kid being an autistic kid, um, just doesn't always get the social conventions and, and makes mistakes. And you, you know, you correct that where you can. But online, it's the Wild West, man. I mean, you just, uh, you know, you sign up for a website and there's a whole bunch of terms and conditions that you read or you don't. You just click agree. But, you know, uh, most times you just blaze right through them. Absolutely. And you know what? It's, it's, Different today's bullying is altogether different from I think in many ways from what we saw in the past. But the bottom line is it's all the same. Bullying is bullying, violence is violence, abuse is abuse, and the degradation of another human being being should not be tolerated. And I think Todd, one of the things that are, when it happens at an early age and it goes on for a very long time and it becomes prevalent for a long time, it's can cause long-term ramifications. In fact, that's what we're going to talk about with our guest today, the great author Martina Boone who was bullied, harassed as a kid, and then she went on to become, and she is, a great author. Very cool. Stay tuned. We're going to get her on the line. You're listening to Matters of the Mind and Listen Up Talk Radio worldwide at talk-radio.ca. The music you'll hear on Out of the Blue will be jazz for the most part. No specific styles or genres. Every piece of music is handpicked to deliver quality performances. Out of the Blue can be heard on rtds.ca, live Mondays, 1 to 3 p.m., and encore performances Tuesday to Friday, anytime on demand. It's the true spirit of jazz, a touch of everything and then some. Thanks for listening. I'm Larry Green. Dr. Peter Andrew Sacco, and do you have technological rage? Oh yeah, the new rage of anger. Download my new book today, Technological Rage, on my website, www.petersacco.com, and learn what technological rage is and how it is sweeping people today, leading to online dating anger, texting anger, and social online networking forums. Hmm, did you ever think you might get angry texting? Facebooking or online dating, maybe you never thought it would happen to you, or maybe you know somebody that has this and you just need to understand it a little more. Welcome back to Mental Health Matters with your host, Dr. Peter Sacco. back to Matters of the Mind on this gorgeous, beautiful November date. And as we were talking about, it is Bullying Awareness Month, where all bullying is bad. So folks, definitely um, do what you can to do to support any cause that is against bullying. All anti-bullying campaigns in my books are great because nobody deserves to be abused, bullied, or degraded. 
And with that said, by the way, also keep your um, messages coming to me on Facebook, Twitter, personal emails, uh, whatever it is, with show ideas, because Todd and I always love show ideas. But this month, as I said, we are committed to discussing anything to do with bullying. And so with that said, not too long ago, I had the opportunity to get this lovely author on our show because we thought she'd be a great fit to kick off the month. Um, her name is Martina Boone. She was born in the Czech Republic. Uh, she speaks several languages, moved to the United States, and learned English as a child. And she had a very heavy accent and was teased by fellow students and even her own grade two teacher. And the best part of this is uh, Martina never fell out of love with words, fairy tale settings, and stories about people finding themselves. And here we have her today. She blossomed into a tremendously phenomenal author who champions literature, uh, champions and encourages teens to read by visiting classrooms across the nation and in organizing monthly book giveaways for schools with a product she calls Compulsion for Reading. And she also accepted a board position with the Literacy Council of Northern Virginia. Welcome, Martina. Thank you so much for having me on. So, I guess the uh, question I'll ask you, um, when you, you came to the United States um, and experienced what you did in, in terms of the accent being teased in that, um, I guess to discuss it and describe what it felt like, because we have lots of folks, not only with um, you know diversities of languages, but also what Todd and I have had on the show, mental uh, different mental illnesses that have been made fun of, different you know religiosities. So, what is it the pers your perspective and how you know if you can relate it to our listeners? What was that like for you? I think honestly, um, you know, and it's funny because I hadn't realized. Uh, well until I had written this book and sort of was doing another interview and someone asked me a question and I hadn't realized how much of that experience is in these books and sort of in the way that I view life. Um, but looking back on it, I think the biggest thing that stands out is sort of shock and surprise because I hadn't until that moment experienced anything like it. Um, coming from Europe where there are so many different languages spoken and where, you know, we, we bounced around. So we went from, we escaped what was then Czechoslovakia and we went to Denmark for a year and Norway for a year. And, you know, you're, you're sort of, everyone was very welcoming. Everyone was very helpful. Um, I went to an embassy school in, in Denmark and, and then into um, a... Uh, um, a religious school in Norway, um, not a religion I was part of actually, but just that was the way it worked out. And so um, everyone was very, very welcoming and very accepting. And then coming here, and it's funny, I don't remember the students as much as I remember the teacher because grown ups aren't supposed to betray you. Right? They're not supposed to make fun of you in, in front of other people, and they're not supposed to exemplify all the worst things um, that human beings do to each other, and yet they do. But I think that's the moment that stuck out for me, is that, that shock and, and the sense of, I can't trust this person who's in authority. 
That's kind of heartbreaking because I know a lot of teachers are good, but there are a few, and I actually had one too, and I will not say her name because she's still around. Um, but she was she was mean, and she went out of her way to be mean and belittle students. And looking back at it now with an adult viewpoint, I I often wonder what was it that prompted that? Did she just not like children? Did she, I mean, was there some sort of trauma in her life that caused her to lash out at these people that were actually looking up to her as someone that they could potentially model their lives on? And that first trusting relationship is obviously your parents, but then the the next one is usually your educators, the people that you see for seven to eight hours a day. And and I don't understand what, what your teacher and my teacher, what the end game was there. And if they were obviously not aware of it. Well, I mean, I think that, you know, that's that's part of the problem is that so often as people, we don't realize what we are doing to each other. We think about our own needs or our own circumstances. And I, you know, suspect that there was, for my particular teacher, a sense of overwork, a sense of, you know, um, I don't know. I mean, I... I it doesn't process for me, so it's hard for me to put her in her shoes. But I do know how overworked teachers are and how stressed out they can be and how, you know, just a student with one more need, one more piece of paperwork, one more whatever can can feel like too much, I think. And, you know, there's also lots of different reasons that people go into teaching, and not all of them relate to the fact that they love children or that they want to, you know, prepare people for a better future. They, you know, for many people it's a job. And so there are tremendous educators who are out there doing work that really deserves to be applauded by everybody because they are the future of, I mean, humanity, really. Um, And... Yet then there are individuals who don't see it that way, and I think that that's sad, but somehow we've got to figure out how to separate the two and support those people who could be good teachers, maybe if they had more support. So, excuse me, Martina, so as this is happening to you, did you find yourself withdrawing? Did you find, you know... As a kid, you're starting to say, okay, there's obviously something wrong with me. I don't fit in. Good God, I wish I could go back to Europe. Um, Or is there a part of you um, that just basically says, okay, it is what it is, and I'm just not going to let it break me down. It's almost like a Victor Victor Frankl mentality where you can do and say whatever it is to me, but deep down inside, I know I'm a great person, and I'm going to overcome this because it's all about the power of my spirit. And I think that's one of the, the, we find, and I do as a professional back in the day, that there's basically three schools of thought when it comes to responses to the victim of bullying. A, they withdraw, they become really anxious, depressed, and in some cases suicidal. B, they become the bully by developing the superiority complex and then they go and wreak havoc on somebody else. Or C, they deal with this in an assertive way and say, okay, this is not about me. It's about somebody that does not function right, has their own issues, and I know I'm a damn good person inside, and I know I'm going to rise above and beyond this. Where did, where would you see yourself, you know, going through that when it was happening to you? 
Um, I think that it, it's a spectrum, and I, I you know, I, I get the theory, but I think that it's always a little bit of a process, and it's a little bit like grief in the sense that there are stages, and hopefully you get from one stage to the next quickly. Um, and I think that it really depends on the vulnerability of the situation in which you find yourself elsewhere, and that's where I think family comes in as a tremendous um, sort of a support system, and if you have that, that can get you through these situations much more quickly. The family is so important when children are being bullied. Um, I think for me it was, um, you know, sort of a perfect storm of, of not having a lot of um, uh, stability um, because we had moved so much, because I didn't speak the language, because um, uh, you know, my family situation was, was new. Um, my mother had recently remarried. I had a new um, half-sister. Um, that it took me a little bit longer, I think, than I would have hoped to get to the point where I decided to use it to make myself a better person. Um, but, you know, now it's definitely something that um, I can look back on and I can say, you know, it definitely, with the English, that was one thing that was very, very instantaneous in the sense that I immediately decided I am going to learn to speak English perfectly and I am going to read perfectly if there's such a thing. Um, and I never stopped really wanting to play with language as a result of that. Um, one, it came easy to me, but two, um, it was a conscious choice that... I'm going to get good at this thing that, you know, someone laughed at me for doing. Um, but in terms of the, 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 the other scars in terms of confidence and things like that, I mean, that, those are things that, you know, I still carry with me that it's very easy for me still to have um, take criticism to heart and much, much harder for me to believe a compliment. I'm, I'm sort of reliving your experience coming from, from Czechoslovakia. Uh, my own grandparents came from, from Romania and were escaping various regimes and doing much like you did, escaping to different countries, you know, hiding and finally making it to Canada. And I remember listening back when they got to Pier 21 in, in Halifax, which is where most of the immigration in this country happened in the early days. And they got off a boat and, and they came to Canada. And the first thing that happened to them was, was bullying. And the bullying was as simple as them being told they needed to change their name. So they were Mullers and then they became Millers. And it was a very maybe not so subtle way of having them fit in their new country by anglicizing their name. And it's just amazing that these people that faced life and death to escape to a country that would accept them. And the first time they get here, there's an acceptance, you know, by saying, you know, we don't like your name. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, it is, everyone wants, a sense of uniformity, and it's funny because, you know, living in the United States, I'm seeing this playing out in the election today. Um, I see this with reactions for, you know, the, 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 the things on the Literacy Council. And, um, 
there's everyone wants to find themselves to be the same, you know, um, and it's much harder to be confident that if you embrace differences, you're going to come to a better uh, place in life um, as an individual or as a country, and that you know you everyone is much more comfortable with what's already familiar to them, and it doesn't make them stretch as much. It doesn't make them work as hard. Um, so, you know, that's partly human nature, um, and partly it's just, a, I, I think, a fear of, of, you know, the unknown and, and a fear of letting go and having to trust that you're not going to be hurt by the unfamiliar. So... I guess one of the things I find really interesting that you do, Martina, is that you um, encourage reading. Uh, um, definitely, it's kind of cool to teens, which is interesting because that's where a lot of the drop-off starts in reading. You get a lot of kids that are interested in reading because I think a lot of that involves, you know, the time that their parents spend with them reading to them, and it's just, it's just quality time. But, you know, realistically speaking, there's not a lot of parents that say, okay, teens, let's sit down and we're going to read with each other. And I think, you know, I see that myself as an author, that a lot of teens just don't want to read unless they're forced to read. But God bless, uh, you know, Roland and uh, Stephanie Mayer, uh, people like uh, Smith with the vampire stuff and Harry Potter and that, which have really, you know, made teens like, hey, I really want to read. But once again, a lot of them are the, the a lot of females tend to read these books over guys. Um, so I guess one of the things I find interesting with what you do is that when you go into classrooms and you do book giveaways for schools and you've got a great project called Compulsion for Reading, do you find teenagers readily accepting like, hey, I want to read? I think it's cool because back in our day, reading wasn't cool. In fact, back in the day, being a computer geek was the one of the worst things you could be, but now if you're a computer geek, you're the sexiest thing alive on this earth. So <laughs> it'd be interesting to see if people would find reading sexy again. Um, I think we're not quite there yet. Um, and, and this is why I started writing YA. Um, and it's why I am really championing this as a cause because you know, you, you know the statistics and you know the studies of what, what reading does to you um, uh, in terms of, of expanding your education, in terms of um, expanding your success later in life. But my daughter had a learning disability or has a learning disability. She has a, um, a delay between auditory and visual processing. And that made it really difficult for her to learn to read because she could sound out she could you know she could learn the phonics and it was impossible for her to take the individual um you know syllables or or phonic pieces and string them together into a word and so when like like you i read to my kids um i read to them both uh extensively and um you know that was a big part of our, our lives together. And then when she was a teenager and it was, oh, I am, you know, too old to have mom read to me, reading was such a chore and such a difficulty, and she was struggling so much keeping up her grades in school, just the, 
the length of time it took for her to do the, you know, the things that she had to do for school and the reading she had to do, that the reading that she would have wanted to do, the fun reading, the reading that didn't feel like a chore, that was so much of a chore she didn't do it. And, you know, you get into other things, too. You get into the fact that when you have, it takes you a long time to read, having to go and check out a library book, that's another chore. That's another deadline. That's another piece of pressure. And kids have so much pressure on them already these days that that was something she didn't, you know, really want to do. Um, so she just lost that whole experience of fiction. And I think a lot of kids have lost that experience of fiction. And people say, well, you know, it's only fiction. It's not important. But it is, because those are our bridges with each other. Um, you don't think about a movie the way that you think about a book. You don't experience a movie the way that you experience a book. You don't develop the empathy for that character. And really, that's what fiction is. It develops empathy it lets you put yourself into someone else's shoes in a much deeper way than anything else that you can can have and so without that experience we're losing the bridges we're losing the empathy we're losing the literacy that enables people to grow and to become much more educated but also to think beyond what they're taught in the classroom and so um, when I wrote Compulsion, I really wrote it for my daughter and the kids like her um, that were able to read, you know, Twilight and the L.J. Smith books and the books that are really enormously popular because they're, they're popcorn. Um, kids don't feel like it's a chore to read them. They want to read them because there's a lot going on. There's a lot of romance. There's a lot of, of you know, um, uh, tension and intrigue and, and all of those things. But I wanted to also provide a, a few vitamins um, with, you know, some history and, and a few issues for them to think about as they were processing. And so I wanted to write books that could be read on multiple different levels if you wanted to take the time to stop and think about them. There were things for you to stop and think about but you could also just read them and enjoy them. I like that, absolutely. Because I think, you know, one of the things today um, is a lot of the characters that kids are now starting to re-relate back to, which are from my generation, are basically DC and Marvel superheroes. That yep. A lot of the good stuff's coming back where I like the message that good triumphs over evil. And, it, and it's kind of cool. Actually, I'm friends with L.J. Smith, um, and I like her vampire series. Uh, the fact that, once again, it's good. She's taking a dark character, much like Stephanie Mayer does, too, takes dark, dark characters and shows that good trumps evil. And yep. it was interesting. I was talking with Ian Summerholder last summer. We were hanging out at, the com at a Comic-Con in Toronto, and uh, just getting his perspective on it as well, where, you know, you would have never thought back in the day that the vampire would be the good person. Uh, you would be relating to the vampire, werewolves, uh, whatever else there are, if you go to true blood, you have fairies, all the, you know, the whole nine yards with all these mythical creatures that are now the good ones. And, you know, it's, it's a testament where we've kind of come from, you know, Lord of the Rings, um, from all of them, all these great writers from the past. 
But anyways, with that said, we have to go to a break, Martina. And when we come back, we're going to talk about compulsion and what your books are about, how they reach uh, readers, and what you're going to be working on. So we'll be right back, folks. Stay tuned. You're listening to Matters of the Mind on Listen Up Talk Radio worldwide at talk-radio.ca. Buying or selling a home, condo, or investment property may be one of the largest transactions you'll ever make. It's important to gather as much information as you can, and preferably from experienced, successful professionals. When it comes time to make your move, call the Mulholland Ross Real Estate Team with Keller Williams Real Estate Service at 416-230-8500 or visit www.realestatetoronto.com. Whether you're making your first move or selling your much-loved family home, the Mulholland Ross Team offers over 26 years of real estate sales and service across the GTA. Listen every Sunday at 4 p.m. here on Radio That Doesn't Suck to hear the team share advice and information that will assist you with your personal wealth through real estate. Questions or topics you'd like to see covered? Email info at realestatetoronto.com or call the Mulholland Ross team at 416-230-8500. Welcome to my new book, Niagara's Most Haunted Legends and Myths, which is not just a book about ghosts and haunted places, rather about history in the Niagara region. This book explores and uncovers parts of the Niagara region which are considered some of the richest in North American history and the most haunted. As a matter of fact, one of the bloodiest battles in North American history, the War of 1812, between the British and the Americans was fought here. And this year, the bicentennial year anniversary of the War of 1812 is covered in this book. This book explores most of the haunted places, legends that have existed from the 1800s right now to 2012. Each chapter covers a different type of landmark which not only educates readers on historical significances, but also entertains with anecdotal ghost stories and paranormal investigations. Join me in this book as we visit beds and breakfasts, ships and boats, trains, tunnels, museums, mansions, highways, forts, cemeteries, waterfalls, and many more, and see if the Niagara region is really haunted. Niagara's Most Haunted Legends and Myths is now available at Indigo Chapters and online on Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com and visit our website, www.niagara'smosthaunted.com. Be afraid. Be very afraid. Welcome back to Mental Health Matters with your host, Dr. Peter Sacco. Welcome back to Matters of the Mind, where everything on your mind matters to us each and every week. And what matters most to us today, next week, the week after, the week after that, and actually throughout the whole year. But we're just going to be talking about it for the next four weeks is bullying. November is Bullying Awareness Month, folks. Do whatever you can to make a difference. All it takes is one person to stop bullying and speak up. Never let anybody be bullied, and if you yourself are being bullied, I don't care if you're a kid, teenager, adult, that is wrong. You should not be victimized. Speak up and seek out help for it. And so, today we got a great guest. We have Martina Boone, who was born in the Czech Republic, immigrated to the United States, and she has just blossomed into a phenomenal, tremendous author who champions literacy encourages teens to read by visiting classrooms across the nation and she organizes monthly book giveaways for schools with a project she calls compulsion for reading and what's really cool about that is her first and debut book 
of a, in a series is called Compulsion. So, Martina, tell us about Compulsion. Let's get readers interested in it, or viewers that will make, make them want to go out and read it, buy the book. Okay, well, I don't know about that. I'm a writer, not a marketer, but I will give, uh, give it my best shot. The elevator pitch, how's that? Um, I had to learn this for television the other day, so I think I know what my book is actually about. Um, it's set in uh, the low country of Ca South Carolina, uh, which is um, you know, the area south of Charleston along the, uh, the seacoast. And it is about three plantations, two wishes, and one ancient curse. And my main character, Barry Watson, um, has been raised in San Francisco with her mother, who's a shut-in, and uh, was injured in a fire. And uh, her primary caregiver, the person she loves most, is her godfather, who's an African-American ex-drag queen. And um, she uh, starts to lose him, and he sends her to live on this plantation in South Carolina with her mother, a twin sister, um, who she's never heard of on this plantation she's never heard of, uh, that belonged to her family for 300 years. And she knows nothing about this history. The only thing she knows is that she has a gift for finding lost things. And that's very inconvenient when you're on an island where there are many things that are lost. Murder, skeletons, ghosts, treasure, um, of course, she falls in love uh, with a boy across the river whose family gift is knowing what people want most. The flip side to the gift is that they're also compulsions, thus the name. Uh, Barry not only has to find, uh, can find lost things, she has to find them, and eight Buford, Charles Buford VIII, not only knows what people want, but he is compelled to try to give it to them. So then the question becomes, um, why do they like each other? Is it because Barry's gift is pushing her towards something in eight? Is it because uh, eight knows the perfect thing to say to her to make her like him? Is it because she wants him to like her and therefore he must? I'm listening to your elevator pitch, which is, which is fully realized, and I'm wondering how, how do you flesh out those characters i'm listening to all of them and i can see them i know i sort of get a good feeling for who they are and what they've been through in life how do you get to that place where they are so fully realized um i honestly don't know the answer to that um i run a blog and it's a three-time writer's digest 101 best websites for writers blog and one of the things that I did that sort of, I think, got us to that point is I did some worksheets as I was learning to write, and I posted them on the blog, and one of them is a character worksheet. And I did that for Barry, um, but it really wasn't until I was writing the, the sort of the backstory that I got an idea of, of, you know, being able to see her and how the magic on the island, that sense of history, that sense of Place, the tragedy of the wishes and the curses really interplayed and became real. But I'd love to take credit for it. As I was writing, the characters would just start doing things that I was like, yeah, this is not convenient. This is not the way I had made my plot notes. Um, Mark, for example, the godfather, was intended to be a facel in the first chapter. 
and then he was supposed to go away, and he refused, and he's in the third book. Um, so, you know, he just kind of went along and stuck his size 14 Louboutins in every, you know, <laughs> chapter, um, in every piece of the book, because he, the wisdom that he had transmitted to Barry, the things that made her who she is, are there still with her. Um, and the, every character from Lula to Eight to Eight's father, Seven, you know, by the time you're, you're the eighth Charles Buford, you've given up on the juniors and the seniors. <laughs> um, uh, so uh, his father is seven. Um, her aunt, everyone has their own individual story. And the books are primarily eight and uh, Barry's story. But they're a series is about healing, about taking that that. Um, sense of history that's in the Low Country, which is a combination of Native American, African American, and European history, um, and it's really a big melting pot. Um, but it's a melting pot that hasn't completely melted because obviously there are still a lot of tensions, and that's what these wishes and the curse ultimately play off of. And it's they just became who they were. So I can't really take credit. Well, but it's interesting to hear because I've done some writing and I don't fully form the characters. You can you can see a character appear and they look fully formed to you, but there's no backstory. You don't care about them because you don't know what they've been through. And that's something that I'm hearing you where you're saying you've got the character sketched out. Then all of a sudden there's a backstory and there's something a little left turn that makes you go, hmm, this character is not quite what they appear to be. Yeah, um, definitely. I mean, Persuasion, the second book that just came out last week, is sort of taking what amounted to the villain from book one and having to discover who she is and why she is the way that she is. Um, and um, it, I understood that writing book one and understood that she really couldn't be any way different than she was. Um, and... But writing her story in book two, um, albeit from Barry's perspective, was really eye-opening. And I think one of the things that I love the most is when people tell me that they love my villains because they can understand them. Um, and, you know, one of the things we were talking about bullying earlier, and persuasion really is about that fine line between compulsion and persuasion, right? Um, the whole series is really about all of the different ways in which we do things to other human beings that cross that line, um, whether it's pressuring someone to do what we want them to do, bullying them into it, blackmailing them into it, threatening them into it, forcing them into it. Um, so there's, you know, and, and the way that we justify that to ourselves is, is the other piece of that puzzle, how we live with ourselves after having done it, um, how we lie to ourselves about the reasons we're doing it. And so, you know, having that understanding of the dichotomy between having a person who is very moral and very loving on one hand and yet still can push another human being um, or hurt another human being on the other hand that's fascinating to me. And so there's this very blurred line between who is the quote-unquote the hero and who is the villain. And I think that that's one of the things that makes those Marvel comics so popular now is that 
humanity, we're starting to realize, isn't always so good. And maybe we're looking for something that we can't find in humans readily. And it's interesting to play with the idea of the monster as being the greater good. So I guess let me ask you this then, Martina. What are the limits then as an author today um, as far as what is going too far? And it's interesting. And I'm, I guess I'm going to bounce it off you as a fellow author because I'm working on several kids' projects right now. In fact, some of them are out now for bullying and Bullying Awareness Month. Um, and they're fictional. They're pieces that kids can relate to, you know, uh, work with teachers with them discuss them with counselors and their parents. And I've, uh, I've been asked this myself um, by other radio show hosts, TV show hosts, experts in the field, is what is going too far with it um, in terms of discussing stuff with kids that may put ideas into their minds or heads or that they're not able to cope with it? Or is literature stimulating enough today because the real world is this gone amok and anything kind of goes that kids don't turn to literature because they're living the soap opera, the craziness, the insanity. What's your take on that? My, my take on that is, um, wow, I, such a good question. Um, to me, literature is a safe space um, because you can close a book. You can't close your real life. Reading a book and putting yourself into the shoes of other characters, thinking, what would I do in this situation? Oh, my God, I'm so frustrated because this character is making these bad choices. Or, oh, my God, I'm so frustrated because this is happening to this character. That creates a lasting impression. But when it becomes too much, you can close the book and you can process and you can pick it up again in a week or two or whenever you're ready to do it. Um, you can't. It's not as easy to turn off the images on the television. It's not as easy to turn off what your parents are saying or what your fellow classmates are going through. Or heaven forbid, if you're being bullied at school, you can't turn that off. Um, and reading allows you to process, pre-process some of those feelings and emotions. And I think that's one of the things that is so incredibly valuable, and it's one of the things that I find the most difficult to speak with um, when I'm speaking with parents who say, um, you know, this book should be banned, or uh, I don't want my child reading this, or we shouldn't have this book in my library, and, and that's not compulsion so far, not good. Everything's been <laughs> fine there. but. Um, you know, uh, I'm, I'm thinking of Lori Halsey Anderson's Speak or, you know, so many of the other books that have been banned. Um, it is a tragedy to me because I chaired the Safe Schools Advisory Council in Prince William County, which is the second largest county in, in Virginia, for two years, or for six years. Um, and I did that because uh, a boy in my son's uh, seventh grade um, uh, signet, which is gifted education class, and in his Boy Scout troop on the last day of school brought six uh, guns and incendiary weapons to school intending to enact a Columbine. And um, come to find out, he'd been bullied since second grade. And he didn't fire any weapons. He didn't hurt anyone. And the school and everyone congratulated themselves on having, you know, sort of 
warded off this attack. But the truth was this boy really didn't want to do anything. He had the opportunity, and had he wanted to, he could have. He wanted help. And in all of that time, in five years, nobody had given it to him. And I'm not saying what he did was right. Obviously, it was very, very wrong. Um, and I wanted to make sure that that kind of a tragedy never happened to, you know, on either side, that anyone would, would do that, that the schools would be protected from that, but also that the students would be protected from that kind of bullying. Um, because they can't turn it off, There's, and they can't process it, and they can't, you know, they don't have the sophistication to be able to pick those right words that are going to stop that bullying or to help the bully who, frankly, also often needs help. And, and bullying is such a complex process that, you know, the victim and the bully are both in some way very, very damaged. Um, I think there was a question in there, and I probably circled around it. <laughs> We've, uh, we've got about four minutes left, so I'm going to ask a quick, quick question, and then Dr. Sacco's going to close with one. It's it's a fine line um, when someone is looking at, at a particular work of fiction or, or a book and determining whether it it will prompt someone to do something. I mean, there's been so many stories of, I guess, the book is what, Catcher in the Rye, that every serial killer has eight copies of it. So, you know, do we as a society ban that book and the sale of it? Or, I mean, it's it's a very fine line between looking at these works of art and determining whether they should be uh, censored or, or, or hidden. Um, I mean, but again, you know, you can't turn off... It's, it's not as easy to turn off television or real life. And, and in fact, I, one of the first papers I ever wrote in college was, you know, sort of this catch-22 of media. Um, and that's been, you know, more than a few years, and we're still asking the same things. And again, I'm going to just, you know, say that I think if you're, there's ever a place where, um, you know, you, you give the benefit of the doubt, I think it's to books because they are what allows someone to process. And I think maybe what happens with the catcher in the rye is that certain types of people are pulled toward that because they already have issues that they're trying to, uh, you know, consider. And what we don't know is how many people came away from that book not being serial killers. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I like your answer very much, Martina, because you always have to look at it. It's not the medium that makes people go out and do stuff. Rather, it's the interpreter of the media, the medium, which is either book, music, movie, entertainment, whatever it is. And at some level, you have to look at there is some sort of neurosis, potential psychosis, irrational thinking within their minds. And I remember after Columbine, everybody was pointing at, you know, you know these folks saying, it's Marilyn Manson that made them go do it. Really? And then back in the day, it was Alice Cooper, it was Kiss, and good God, it was Elvis Presley for shaking his hips too much. So, you know what, you, you can blame, I think, you know, what's out there, but at the end of the day, and it's something I've always said, especially in terms of bullying, parents know what your kids are doing, and if you're buying your kids guns, or encouraging them to just go hunting and do all that stuff, make sure you know what's going through your kids' minds and what video games they're into and what their moods and what their temperaments are because that is, you know, the greater harm in it themselves. We've got to run, Martina, but before we let you go, I would just like you to mention where people can find your book, both Compulsion and then the follow-up novel called Persuasion, which just came out last week. 
Um, I think it's, it's in, uh, you know, all the bookstores. Um, certainly uh, Chapters has been great. Um, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, um, it's available. And I am very grateful to everybody who reads it. Awesome, awesome. Folks, it is a tremendous book. Get out there, buy it. You're sure to enjoy it. Anyways, thank you so much, Martina, for having us come into your life today and sharing your information with us. And we wish you a great and successful uh, future with this book and books to follow. Thank you so much for having me, and thank you for such a great conversation. You're welcome. You're listening to Matters of the Mind. And check into our blog post. You'll be able to find all the contact information for Martina right there. And if you missed the show, then you'll be able to catch it on podcast. Of course, and any show is available on podcast at talk-radio.ca. matters of the mind where everything on your mind matters to us and you each and every week and this week and throughout this month it is bullying awareness month so bullying is on our mind and joining us now is ellen campbell from the center for abuse awareness she's the ceo and founder hello ellen how are you doing today hi peter great isn't it a beautiful day todd and i were talking about it it's like pseudo spring we love it i know it's really great that, how should we say, summer is bullying fall. We, we can accept that. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> oh, no, it's lovely. So uh, what's been going on with the Center for Abuse Awareness? Do you have anything upcoming for November that people can get involved with, help donate, and support a great cause? Well, we're doing our first makeover on Monday. We're all set to go. So we have 10 women coming in from a shelter on Monday, and they're getting their hair and their nails and their makeup and new clothes, new Danier coat, the works. Um, so we can always use clothing, of course, furniture, and, um, uh, and volunteers, for sure. And we always take donations, Peter, because we, uh, you know, we, can't all, we always don't have what the women or men need, so sometimes we have to purchase stuff. And uh, we're actually next week doing our first, what we call home feathers. So. We have a woman that we've totally furnished her apartment. She's got all her brand new bedding and basic, you know, kitchen stuff and everything. So then we have an interior designer going in next Tuesday, and she's going to assess everything, measure, and then she's going to come back to our warehouse and get the drapes and the rugs and the pictures and everything can come back and really pull it all together for her and make it a home. So two big launches of our programs next week. We've been kind of over the summer just doing the product distribution until we could get ourselves all set up here. Amazing. I wanted to touch base about the men's conference, how that went, if, if you got any feedback and, and uh, just what your feelings were on the, uh, on the event that happened uh, a few weeks ago. Yeah, it was really good. We had a really good turnout, especially the Thursday night, which was free and it was for everyone. Um, and we, we covered everything. But the interesting thing that... The feedback we got, and I, I agree with it, is there wasn't enough um, on domestic abuse of men. Mm. And uh, we, we touched on this a little bit when we spoke once, but there's more and more men that are in domestic abusive situations, and they're being bullied. 
and they're being spit on and kicked and sometimes by a woman half by a woman half their size right but um what what does a man do in that situation of course he can't hit back even sometimes when the police take the calls they they always assume it's the woman that's being abused so it's very hard for a man to um to leave especially if there's children because he knows that the children will be abused or the animals so it's a, it's um becoming more out there and aware it's been going on a lot i've heard of a lot of situations but um I think it's something we need to it's, spend more time on. It's funny because I, I I realized later after I left my first marriage that I was a victim of that, and and it wasn't always physical. It wasn't hitting, but it was threats of that. It was uh, throwing things. It was the intense verbal abuse that mm-hmm. really can sometimes be more significant than than just a, a, a slap or something. It is, yeah. Sometimes I think it's in some ways it's worse because you don't know you've been hit. I mean, at least when you're hit, there's a bruise. But yeah. when when it's an attack like that and threats, and again, if there's children or animals involved, um, you know, lots of women actually stay in the marriage because sometimes of the animal. So now there's programs where certain vets will take in or organize care of the pet. Uh, so uh, there is a, an association that does that. If anyone's listening and they're in that situation... I, I mean, I have two dogs, and I couldn't leave my dog if I had to. So what would I do with them? There is there is help out there even for someone that will take in your animals if you have to leave. Amen. Amen to that. Mm-hmm. All life deserves pure reverence and respect. Uh, Ellen, I, we know that you're busy, and you've got to get going. So thank you so much for joining us, and we'll have you back next week. Perfect. Uh, thanks. And thanks so much. Have a great day. You too. Thanks, Peter. Bye-bye. So, folks, that wraps up our show. Thank you so much for joining us, and tune in next week as we talk more about matters of the mind and covering bullying issues. And remember, all bullying is wrong. So do your best to step in, make a difference, and say no to bullying. Absolutely. We will catch you right back here next Wednesday at 8 p.m. on Listen Up Talk Radio. Catch us on podcasts, Stitcher Radio. Tune in, we're everywhere. You've been listening to Matters of the Mind on Listen Up Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Peter Andrew Sacco. Get in touch with him on his website, petersacco.com, or find his contact page on Listen Up at talk-radio.ca. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Listen Up Talk Radio, on Twitter at Listen Up Talk. Thanks for listening and sharing our posts. We'll catch you next week.